Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Anthony Albakov, who's the CEO and founder of My Mortgage Freedom. They're a brokerage company. He works with a lot of high net worth individuals across all sorts of funding services. We're talking development, self-managed super fund, mum and dad investors. We have a chat to him about how brokers work, how he can get the best deal for his clients, and a little bit about the finance world post the Royal Commission and post APRA. He's also got some great advice from the top end of town, the way that they invest and some great advice for people that are looking to build their property portfolio. It's a great interview with Anthony and I hope you enjoy it. Anthony Albakov, thank you for joining Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Now, kick us off, Anthony. Uh, Who are you and what do you specialize in? Sure. So our business was established in 2011. I've, I've been in the industry for over 10 years now. So we are uh, mortgage advisors as well as offering financial advice through our financial advisory team. And um, our core business is mortgage broking, so residential, commercial, where we're probably a little bit different in the marketplace is our brokers uh, focus on a certain niche of the market. So um, we've got eight brokers, 18 in total, and the brokers specialise in whether it be you know, residential, commercial, development, self-funded super funds, self-employed, non-resident lending. Um, so, yeah, the way the market is at the moment, it's so fluid and it's constantly changing. We found that being a specialist in the area really does give us um, that point of difference and and uh, allows the clients to feel comfortable with it, dealing with someone that, that is a specialist in that area. So... Yeah, and some that's, good that's diversification as well too, because there are some sections of the market at the moment I'm guessing are pretty tough. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at, uh, say, for instance, investors, the investor market, and, and the lenders tightening up their policy off the back of Royal Commission and APRA and all that, that that's been an era of our business that does hasn't flourished like it had been in the last few years. But we're looking at a lot of restructures right now. So a lot of clients have got portfolios of lending and looking at restructuring, simplifying structures and also diversifying their lenders. So, yeah, just, just going to make sure that you're um, meeting the market conditions. So that has allowed us to, yeah, not be Good too stuff. focused And what about area. the bedroom wall growing up, Anthony? What did you have blue tacked there in, uh, in prime position? <laughs> oh. Yeah, look, uh, I was probably a bit of a sports fan myself, so I'd probably involve uh, footy players or soccer players and the old cricket player. So uh, Dean Jones was my ultimate favourite sportsman. He was just a, 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 a Victorian batsman. And the running between wickets, you know, like gold standard. Then, um, <laughs> he was lightning. Oh, he was lightning. So that was probably one of my heroes as well as some – I'm an avid Adelaide Crows man, so I love my Crows. And um, it's probably Godra. Modra back then, um, so yeah, more sports awesome. related. And how did you, how did you first get started in, in property, and what was your first investment? Yeah, sure. So yeah. I'll uh, say so me personally. Yeah, yeah. You mean in property? Yeah, sure. So uh, we uh, look. So I've invested in a couple of properties, but we do um, uh, syndication through clients. So we run a, a small. Um, syndication business that we have clients coming into developments that we do anywhere between two to six townhouse of developments. We've been doing that for a little while now. And so we act as um, we get an external project manager to come in, manage the project, and we put some key clients together to look at the opportunities around property. 
Um, it's fair to say that the re- residential market at the moment is pretty subdued. So we're not seeing too much activity there, and if anything, just acquisitions at this point, not getting anything out of the ground. But we're involved with that a fair bit. So that's where not only running the business, but yeah, offering nice. that to our good opportunities to, to pick things up at um, what potentially might be the bottom of the market. Who knows? What about um, your your career? You, you started off working uh, yeah. with your old man in the financial planning sort of accounting areas. What, what, how did that sort mm-hmm. of shape your career and, and, and to where you are today? Yeah, look, that was a, a huge uh, point in my career and learning in the early stages, I was working in his business as just his you know, his administration manager and having that background around financial planning and accounting did give me a lot of um, knowledge moving into the finance sector. And it was probably learning off my father who is um, a financial planner accountant for over 30 years. He gave me really good grounding in focusing on the client outcomes and putting the clients first at the, in, in, in anything that we did. So that gave me um, good grounding and then from there really built the business. I didn't want to take over his business because that was his, I guess, retirement strategy. He's now retired working in the business now with us as our administration manager. But that was just, um, yeah, so, but that was just a good opportunity for me to learn the ropes, learn from someone that's been in the game for a very long time and gave me the fundamentals and the and the foundations and, of And, of and how did that now. sort of lead into the, uh, the brokerage world? Did you always have an idea that that's, that's where you wanted to be, to be part of the, the, the property side of things? Yeah, I, I always had a, a love for numbers. But I didn't want to be an accountant. I didn't want to go all the way. Um, and I just couldn't quite do uh, that on an ongoing basis. I like that financial planning piece and, and the strategies of the clients. And then we were, funny enough, referring to a broker externally at the time. He wasn't doing a very good job. I thought that, um, you know, what's this mortgage broking about? I then found out that at that time it was like a two- or three-day course, and I thought, oh, look, I'll give it a go. And, yeah, look, long story short, Wanted to sink my teeth into it. Um, took me a little while to get up and running. And um, I'll say this story to, to many of um, the guys in the, the office just around how we started around. I used to go into shopping centres and pretty much offices in there and the, and the retail shops trying to get referrals and leads. And <laughs> I uh, one day I went into four shopping centres and got kicked out of all four for, for hawking and disturbing the peace. So I kind of learned very quickly on what worked and what didn't work. And then from there, um, worked out that strategic partnerships, say, with real estate agents, accountants, and financial planners were a great source of referrals. And that's where we build the, uh, build the business from through key strategic partnerships. And that's what we've got across the country now. We pretty much bolt on our services to their businesses to provide a value add to their clients, whereas firms that want to necessarily provide finance internally or don't have the capabilities, we bring the expertise into their business and more now than ever that people are seeing a lot of benefits out of that just due to the changing landscape. Yeah, and that's that's an awesome story. I mean, it's easy to sort of look at you. You're always in a in a sharp suit, and I'm sure the people in the office kind of think, "Oh, does Anthony do anything?" But you know, I'd like the idea of your face being in a Westfield somewhere. You know, the little security booth saying, "Do not let this guy in." <laughs> I'm thinking back to to a lunch we had, which is probably um, a couple of years ago now, probably overdue. Um, but one thing that I noticed is that there were about four people that came up to you and gave you a hug. Your phone rang about 15 times. Is this a bit of an insight into the broker world or what's made you successful? I'm guessing that you're a master networker. <laughs> 
fair to say that's uh, that's a good summation of me. Um, look, I love it. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Um, I get frustrated at times if I'm in the office too much because I, I just think that there's an opportunity to go and meet people. But the great thing about where the business is now, and it's uh, and it's it is fairly um, it's in its infancy stage as well. So we've grown and developed a lot. I still think we've got a lot of uh, growth to go, but we've got some really good key people in the business that are. Um, managing a lot of our inquiries now. It's not just me in the business, it's a whole team of brokers and then support staff. So it allows me to uh, more than ever get out there and, and just meet people. And, and I love that. I love hearing about people's stories. If we can add value, not only from a finance point of view, but if we know someone we can refer them to, a lot of the time our clients, we would you know recommend professional, other professional services that we offer and that we can refer out. And just adding value, and I find that if you do that for customers and show that you really care about them, just just naturally the business is going to organically evolve. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's something I enjoy to do. I don't do it as much because I've got two little children now, but I, I still like to um, yeah network right. Yeah, that's awesome, and and I, I think it's right. I think you do have a genuine curiosity when you're speaking to person that comes across, and and uh, obviously the growth of your business is a is a testament to that. Can we um, chat about brokers in general? Um, why do brokers exist? Why don't the banks just force you to go to them? Why are they feeding you guys? And and how does the whole system work? Mm. Yeah, sure. So I believe broking established about 20, 25 years ago. I know some of the uh, original brokers out in, over in Perth and then obviously Aussie Home Loans is one of the, the forefront and John Kalinda, who's a bit of a mentor of mine, he was um, one of the uh, founding brokers that now runs Finshaw. But it really evolved that clients wanted choice. They didn't want to just go to their bank. And I've got to say, when I first started in the industry, um, brokers did have a bit of a bad taste in clients' mouths in terms of it, they weren't always looking after their best interests. But I truly believe the, the industry has evolved to the point where clients now see brokers mm-hmm. as their first point of call in terms of doing all the work for them. They don't have to necessarily go to their bank anymore. They can go to a broker that can do all the work for them, can make sure that they're providing options to provide the best lending arrangement. It's probably been that legacy over many years that now the Royal Commission is looking at those legacy problems, but I truly believe it has evolved to a professional um, industry. But there always are some, some bad eggs in any, any, in any industry that um, have some bad customer outcomes. But it's it's really been evolved just giving yep. clients options. I think the banks for too long were probably controlling the market, and that I still do think to an extent that they do. So I hope that forever there is always um, this service that can offer and so, clients choice. And so brokers so have sort of um, an, an aggregator that they sort of, I guess, sign up to, which enables them to have, uh, I guess, access to different banks' panels. Is that sort of how it works? The banks, they, they negotiate Correct. with the aggregators to, to, to sort of have certain deals where they offer incentives to the brokers that sign up to the aggregators. Is that roughly how it works? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's the aggregator that has the lender's um, agreement and then brokers need to partner with an aggregator. Ours is Finshaw and very lucky to be a part of the fastest growing aggregator in the country um, and they have the, the arrangement. So from a compliance point of view, they've got obviously certain things we need to meet as brokers, um, which we have adopted and embraced because that's been a, a big change for us in the last few years, which I think we just need to embrace and not um, think it's a negative thing. 
Um, but yeah, so they're, they're the relationship and they've got the agreements with the lenders and we need to fall yeah, under an agreement. Now, you mentioned the Royal Commission and, and, you know, there's been a lot of people in the finance industry that have caught yeah. an absolute bollocking. Um, what 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 are what are some of the key sort of grubby findings that have come out, and are there any things that that should set alarm bells for for consumers? I'm guessing I'm I'm looking to see if there are any sort of red flags that you can sort of say, oh, it sounds a bit funny that the real estate agent is also the lender. Is is that the sort of stuff that that came out? Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, it wasn't uh, confronting for me. Not that I or it happened directly, but I've heard about things like this happening and that was, um, you know, lender, um, mobile bankers probably um, uh, creating documents and getting loans approved and, and I'd heard all these things in the industry, so it wasn't news to me. Um, like within the industry though, for the vast majority, they are good people and they've got the right um, thoughts in their mind about the client outcome, but you're always going to get some bad eggs in the industry. That obviously... They were talking about all the negative stories in the Royal Commission. Job was going wrong in the industry, but I think by a large part, I know in the finance operators, and now you hear that um, I think all the CEOs of the banks are, uh, are now um, up on the stands. And then um, Coleman from Matthew Coleman from um, CBA have come out and want to look at changing remuneration because um, it's not the best customer out, um, outcome. But I just think that there's always um, there's always reasons behind the, what they're saying and and if they were to do that and they were to decimate the mortgage broker industry, which will adapt, like whatever happens from out, from the outcome of the Royal Commission and that's going to come out in February, we will adapt to it. We'll, we will move forward and if anything, it will create opportunity. But I think that there's um, reasons why the bank want to kind of take control because brokers are now introducing, I believe, roughly 60% of all new loans to the bank. Wow. And a few years ago, it was a lot less. So I think there's... There's change to happen there. I just hope it doesn't happen too quickly because it will decimate a lot of people's businesses. But I think, um, yeah, the, the improper business around the financial planning piece was, was definitely happening for a very long time. And I think my father was in line with me, things he'd heard. But for the vast majority, I think there's there's a lot of good people in the industry that they need to highlight yeah. as well. I'm, I'm interested. You, you're seeing a lot of accountants starting financial planning arms. Um, obviously, there's the idea that they can sort of service yeah. the client in-house without having to send them to somebody else where they think they might not get a great service. Mm-hmm. Um, from a cynical point of view, I understand that yeah. the valuation multiples are better if you have a financial planning arm of the business. Um, so, if you're selling the business, right. you're going to be more, more better off. There's, there's there's, there's obviously real estates that now own big mortgage companies with different names, so it's a little bit tricky to see who owns who. Um, it, uh, should, be, should we be aware yeah. of who's pulling the strings but behind the scenes? I mean, you mentioned John Simons. As far as I understand, ComBank is a big investor in Aussie home loans, so there's a, there's a yeah. few things at play there. Is there anything yeah. that we need to be wary of or, or am I just being a bit alarmist? Yeah. No, no, the Royal Commission brought it up. So there's a lot of um, aggregators that are actually owned by banks. There's a lot of real estate groups that own mortgage-broking businesses. There is um, a bit of a lack of transparency around that, and I think that that's going to change a lot moving forward, and it, it really should. I mean, I think it's important to know that, that transparency is the key in this industry, and, and that's something that's been lacking. That will evolve. Um, I think that for us, we are quite comfortable with where we sit, we're independently owned, even though we're not technically supposed to use that language, but we are 
um, not aligned to any financial institution, but a lot of other groups um, are. And that, at the end of the day, we're just going to make sure that the customer outcomes are the right reasons. And um, maybe in some cases, that's not all the way. So I think that's something that the Royal Commission and the findings will will come out in the new year and, and make some changes around that. So I think yeah, you're okay. uh, on the so, so what can a good independent broker to do for a client rather than just someone approaching a bank directly? Yeah, sure. So probably now more than ever, I haven't seen like with so much value a broker can do. So the banks having number one their own policy, so they've only got certain policies that they need to adhere to. Now more than ever, that the the credit officers need to tick every box, and if they don't tick every box, they won't approve a loan. And then the one bank would only have their set of products. So typically, a bank might have you know, six to ten products that they could offer any one client, whereas the broker. I think the last indication is over a thousand products they can choose with over thirty lenders. So first of all, there's choice. There's choice with brokers. For us, where we're once again a little bit different is around our industry specialists. So they specialise in a certain segment of the market because it's such a fluid market at the moment. The banks are constantly changing their policy, and they've um, got different appetite, and that's that's changing through their pricing of loans and through their offers that they're um, providing the market. It's so important to deal with someone that knows what they're doing, knows the segment of the market, and can tailor that to suit their needs. So banks we're finding, and we've got some clients that have been with the bank for 20, 30, 40 years, generations, they're now saying to us, look, Anthony, we've been with the banks that are now saying no, and we're now suggesting to clients where they're more suited to, to buy that next property. So... We've had our best year yet in the last uh, the last calendar year, like subject to December settlements. We're going to have our strongest year yet, and that's just off the back of opportunity that's created off the Royal Commission. So, where um, this has all been a blessing in the skies for us, but it has typically been a, a tougher process for finance, and there's a lot more work that can that needs to be done. But that's where yeah, well, that's really interesting. And I products. read an, an article that you wrote um, recently about a very high net worth family that had been with a certain institution for years. I'm guessing they had lots and lots of, of lending arrangements with them. Yeah. Their um, serviceability or their LVR was, was, was super comfortable, but the bank just hit some sort of internal policy. And these people yeah. that were, to any other bank, probably dream clients had hit the ceiling. Uh, is, is, is that what you were sort of talking Talking about there? Yes. Yes. Yeah, correct. First starting the industry, um, there'd, there'd be certain clients that we would never see as brokers because those clients would just go to the bank, they'd purchase the property, they would give them the contract to sale, and they'd say, you know, work it out. And that's just not, it's not that straightforward, but it, it was it was a lot simpler. Now, when you've got the banks that have got credit and more importantly, risks that are dictating around, you know, serviceability, appetite of lending and are constantly fluid in their policies and either they want business or they're not, those clients are now saying, look, we're at a limit. And what we're seeing now, what we're suggesting to these clients is don't have all your eggs in one basket. It, it is actually dangerous to have all your lending with one lender because at any time they can say no and enough is enough. So we're now in this process with a lot of our clients and we're getting a lot of inquiries that clients are happy to spread out their risk they're happy to diversify lenders and it then gives them the ability to potentially meet their needs and their goals. So their, their goals might be to keep on investing in property, whereas their bank might be hitting a ceiling. So there's other lenders that have better loan capacity, so ability to 
um, borrow money based on their situation and aren't going to be at a ceiling like their current bank is. So that is happening more and more. Clients are getting more educated around non-bank lenders and are more comfortable. And in some cases, clients are saying, oh, but I heard non-bank lenders are a high interest rate and they're you know, not as competitive. In most cases, these non-bank lenders are actually a better rate than their bank. And it's just for us, it's educating the client and giving them that guidance around how it all works. And, and we're finding clients have no issues with going to a bank that they may have not lent before, but they are getting the outcome that they want. Interesting. And and what 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 a what a yeah. sort of mind explosion to hear that banks' goals aren't necessarily aligned with, say, mine. Um, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> obviously, you need a good broker to to help you out there. Um, Anthony, can we talk about yeah. APRA and, and the lending environment post-APRA? Uh, now, I understand that they yeah. put a cap on interest-only loans being no more than, than 10% yeah. of, of, of the new business. That was for banks, but even non-bank lenders, I understand, were calling people on interest-only and trying to convert them because I guess they were thinking that maybe it would sort of trickle down. Um, what else happened? And Assuming I got mm. that correct, um, what, what else happened yeah, yeah. and and, and, and and what has it done to the market? Sure. So, APRA, um, oh, probably mid last year, um, put um, a cap on all new investment lending on banks. So, it was around, it was 10%. So, 10% of all new business is um, no more than 10% is to be investment lending. So, banks, and we were made aware that some banks, literally on a month to month basis, were stopping settlements closer to the end of the month because they would go over that cap and that's to roll it over to the next one. So there was all this crazy stuff happening. So then what happened was non-banks who right now aren't governed by APRA, that that they call it shadow banking, non-banks didn't have those caps. So then they entered into the market so they could provide lending and not have those restrictions. Now, APRA have seen, I guess, the dramatic change in the residential market and have probably backed off on that policy and are now not got those caps with the banks. But what banks are now doing is their pricing of loans have actually improved slightly over the last few months. I mean, if you look you know, at an investor, for an example, they would be paying an interest rate of, say, 45 to 5% on an investment loan probably earlier this year or late last year. Yep. Now we're looking at um, variable interest-only loans for investors in the low 4%, so 4 to 45 So we have seen improvement of at least half a percent. The interesting part is in the very near future, in the next couple of years, we're seeing a lot of clients are going to be um, reverting from interest only to principal and interest. Mm. So their repayments in some cases are going to double. That is going to create a lot of concern in the market. And that's, I think, it sounds like APRA and the government are fairly aware of this through the commentary in the media. Um, but the banks have got certain capital requirements, money they need to put aside to lend to these people. So I couldn't see the major banks um, kind of turning the tap off back on anytime soon. And I, I do believe that these non-banks are going to be getting a larger market share in the next few years because banks are servicing, so they're, they're assessing clients' loans at pretty much nearly double the interest rate they're actually paying. So if you can get an interest rate of 4 and 4.5%, they're servicing, so they're doing the calculation based on 7 or 7.5%. There's a great discrepancy because the, the, the non-bank lenders don't have to have those rigid policies. So um, I think you're going to see a lot of people moving away from uh, major banks and trying to take advantage of getting a interest-only loan again or having to face the possibility, if cash flow is a problem, of needing to sell those properties. Mm. So 
that's where I think that you know, my personal opinion is that the the residential market is going to be subdued for, for for you know at least a year or two. And even just speaking to people in the industry, speaking to developers, speaking to people who have been in the industry longer than me, they are seeing are going to be a subdued period for for a little while yet. I hear that the banks are pretty competitive seeing one another when it comes to owner ox basically falling over one another trying to to get the owner occupier loans and the first homeowner loans with yeah. with good serviceability numbers and, and investors are the ones that are that are really struggling is that is that definitely true just to the banks or is it the non-bank lenders as well yeah look investment lending is an interesting one um yes there was a period of time that interest only wasn't a good thing for banks because of that cap that they had um, we're seeing a shift of clients have got the ability. So the, the banks are offering a much better rate for principal and interest. Like we're seeing some principal and interest investor rates at 38 3.9%. I mean, that's amazing. So some clients are taking advantage of that if cash flow permits. But for the interest only, that's where the banks are really trying to price themselves yep. out of it and they haven't been as competitive. Um, owner occupiers, yes. And first-hand buyers, they're definitely in vogue. We're dealing with a lot more of those types of people purchasing properties rather than investors. But it is an interesting time because APRA have pulled the policy back. The banks know that they can't go too hard in those in those segments of the market, so they're being as competitive as possible. We're seeing some owner-occupier interest rates of you know 3.6, 3.7%. Um, and that's an, a, a, a popular segment and a lot of um, lenders are offering cashback. So to refinance for them, they're offering up to $5,000 in cashbacks to refinance for them. So that's been a, a new trend that we're seeing over the last oh, wow. few months. And, and with the figures that you're quoting, I'm assuming that we're talking about um, loan-to-value ratios under 80% or we are the, for some of those rates you, you're needing need to go further? Yeah. Yeah, so investors can still get um, loans up mm-hmm. to 90%, but no lenders offer uh, interest only anymore yep. at 90%. So it must be on a principal and interest basis. But typically, we see a lot of our lending below 80%, and then people have options of principal interest or interest only, and the rate is dictated by the, the, the product type. So if it's principal interest, it's typically going to be a lot cheaper, about half a percent, give or take, and interest only is there, a bit higher. There's only... 20-odd thousand people with, I think, six or more properties in Australia. But the, obviously you hear some stories of the, mm. of the good old days where people have, you know, got seven, eight, nine, ten properties with interest-only loans at 90 or 95%. Um, are, are those days over or are the banks the – banks, the banks still need to make money, Bank, right? Yeah, and I think there will be a point in time where the bank starts to realise and when they – say, no, we have to be a lot more competitive. I think just, you know, the, the final findings from the Royal Commission hasn't come out yet, so I don't think anyone wants to pull the trigger too early, but there's no doubt that their job is to make profits for uh, for their um, shareholders, so I think that, that will change. In regards to your question about, I mean, we've had some clients um, recently, uh, the most recent was a client at 27 properties, and he had a couple of settlements coming up. I mean, he just did not fit the mm. bank's criteria at all. Like, he just was not even close to fit the bank criteria. He had to go to a non-bank lender that had a lot more um, borrowing power and service the loan a bit differently into regards to the assessment of it. Um, so, look, there's lending still out there, but it is becoming a lot more tougher with the majors. Those types of clients 
we, we very rarely, unless we've got a very, very strong income, we've very rarely seen going towards the banks. But it, it, it has no doubt affected yep. people's buying And what, what do you think about negative gearing? Obviously, that's the proposal that Labor are taking to the next election. So that election will be won or lost um, yeah. pre, pre-May. What, what impact do you think that would have on the property market and, and maybe even the lending landscape as well? Yeah, oh, there's no doubt it's gonna it's gonna do something. I don't know how much, and, and I don't think it's great timing that they're proposing this. I don't think they're gonna win the election off the back of it, um, and that could be a key sticking point. It was interesting. I read that 89 percent of investors own two or less properties, so either one investment yep. property or two investment properties. And you're talking a very very small percentile of people that own three or more properties. So. I don't think their policy actually makes sense. I really don't. I think you're you're going to be cutting off majority of the market, and that's for your you know your mum and dad, your everyday people that are trying to get ahead of their in life and not seeing superannuation as a vehicle for retirement. They are seeing property as well. So I think there's fundamental flaws with it. Um, in regard to the the other side of things, with people that got multiple properties, sure they're going to get some better tax breaks, but by continuing. But I think you need to go in the majority, not the minority here, and I don't think that's going to help, and it will affect the market. By how much, I don't know. I was actually with an accounting firm talking about this this morning, and we think that there are going to be significant um, challenges with it if they do it because it's going to, once again, um, create some challenges for the residential market. And, and I think the tide is, is turning with public support to the last poll I read went from 54 in favour to, to 47. I think it's a bit of an education thing, right? They assume uh, people that, that are maybe against negative mm. gearing assuming, well, you know, I don't want to make rich people richer. But even for people that aren't investors, we've got to sort of consider if, if, if our home values go down, what potential impact that has on the economy. Correct. Yeah. So you're right. And a lot of these statistics have been coming out in the last month or so uh, to support it. So um, I think they're going to have to make some changes yeah, before the election. We'll, we'll see. I, I think <laughs> that to, to some extent, negative gearing change has been priced into the market, perhaps. I think maybe it's an extra um, pillow on the face. Mm. Uh, no, I'm going to change that metaphor. It's an extra It's an extra hammer uh, on top of, of, of yeah. APRA and, and that sort of thing. I, I'm interested in, in, in and with people with yeah, you correct. being sort of a master uh, networker. I know you, you rub shoulders with some people um, that are very elite in the property world, you know, some of which worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm interested in what they're doing in a market like this, if if anything. Uh, are they sitting on their hands? Are they thinking that it's an opportunity to, yeah. to acquire things at a discount? What, what's the mindset there? Yeah, sure. So a lot of our clients, um, so as we deal in the development space as well, so we're seeing a lot of clients, it's funny, um, more and more properties are actually coming to the market that are permitted development sites, and it seems like obviously funding is a challenge, and obviously resales is a problem. But then you look at some developers that are actually taking this as an opportunity to um, to, to take on the market and, and to see what what there is um, an availability to sell property because there's there are still opportunities in the market. We're seeing a lot of people acquiring development sites but not actually doing anything. But in any type of Industry in interesting times like this, people see it as opportunity. So if you look at a developer, 
professionals like uh, Tim Gurner, who we have assisted his clients in the past with developments and, and funding it for completion of his developments. He's actually um, taking on the market, so to speak, and taking advantage of not many people being active. So I always think in challenging times, there's opportunities it presents. But I know a lot of our established clients have been in the game for, say, you know, 30, 40 years. They are sitting on the sidelines now and not wanting to be too active in the market. But um, I think that, you know, it might be a little bit time before they come back. But I'm, I'm always impressed to see people in these times actually take it on head on and and um, and you see some of the projects that he's launched. And it's not just him, it's other developers right now that we're working with across the industry that are actually thriving in this market and um, and I'll take my hat off to them. Tim certainly fits the bill of being worth hundreds of millions. He seems to make the rich list fairly fairly comfortably. It's interesting to, to, to see that it's 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 an opportunity for guys like that. But is there is there something that the average investor can can learn from from those people? Well, fair enough, uh, if there's someone that has one or yeah. two investment properties, they might not necessarily be able to land bank half of Docklands. Yeah. But what what what, yeah. what can they take from people like that um, as a as a bit of a, I guess, a, a, a takeaway to, to bring to their own strategy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, like, if you look at that as an example, what they're doing, they're being very active in this market. On the other side, and we're speaking to an investor and they're like, oh, no, we just want to hold off and we want to wait to, the, to see the market bottom out to buy the next investment property. And it's like, if you knew how to pick the market and where it bottled out, you would be a lot more richer than what you would be right now. And so would I if we could predict that it's very hard for anyone to predict the, the, the market. You always have to act when you're ready to act yep. and you've got that capacity. So I don't think people should ever wait for the market to bottom out. See the opportunity now. I mean, dealing with that investor syndication that we've got when we're looking at projects and we're looking at opportunities, we're seeing the time right now to be acquiring sites. Now, it doesn't mean um, development sites. It could mean just a residential property to invest. Yep. But don't try to um, pick the market. And if you already do it, the great thing is now's a great time to be buying, not to be selling. So be active in these markets and don't try to wait to, to, to get the market to change because um, it's hard to ever predict that stuff. So, so I know that you you work across Australia, but you're you're Melbourne based. Let's say we are trying to pick the the bottom yeah. of the market. There's an argument to sort of say that maybe maybe yeah. Melbourne has a little bit further to go. But at at, at most, we're thinking yeah. if you bought now, you might miss the absolute bottom by even ten or or twelve percent, something like that. How, yeah. Why do you think we are so obsessed with with getting that? absolute zero point rather than maybe getting the right property at the right time, have it go backwards a little bit yeah. because we know that it's going to go forwards. Why, why do we want to get it perfect? <laughs> I think everyone's got opinion. I mean, if you read the paper, if you read online and, and speak to people, everyone's got opinion about the market. I mean, people ask me all the time. The reality is I'm just making commentary. I'm not an expert about property, I've got to say. I mean, my core competency is finance and I like to think we're really good at doing it, but I think everyone does analyse it a lot and it's the greatest range dream to own properties and, and own investment properties. So I just think that people kind of read too much about it and you see bear shrapnel come out, you hear, uh, you know, some of, you know, some of the doomsdays going, oh, it's going to be a bubble, all that stuff. I think people need to take that out of the vocabulary, look at their position and make um, decisions accordingly. Yes, you might, you might miss the market and you might drop another four or five percent. 
but you've got it a lot better than what it was six or 12 months ago. And and you just need to buy well. Uh, one of my most uh, astute investors from Sydney, and he's a he's a BRW Richly City. He's always said to me, he goes, Anthony. He goes, you always have to buy well. If you buy well, everything else mm. makes sense. Um, whether it be development, whether it be residential investment, whether it be commercial development, buy well, and then everything else will will, will fly through. So I think that's a word of advice I've always thought in my head and that's the most important. So as long as you do that, everything else will, will take care of itself. I think that's, so, that's great yeah. advice. But um, I think we, we we almost get annoyed that the best advice is so simple. We sort of want the, the tricky little loop. Oh, well, you've, you've got to buy in this structure and you've got a letterbox <laughs> drop and say that you want to move in but you actually want yeah. to you know, split it and subdivide and then you, you sell it through a syndicate. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. have to be that complicated, I'm guessing, is, is where we're going. No, absolutely. It could be, you know, buying that next investment property and just buying a well. And, and that's, that's, I mean, some of our clients that are multiple um, property investors, yeah, that, that's their mantra and, that, and that's what they always look for and, um, and look for a good yield and, and good look, obviously, you know, for us, it's always, we've, we've seen from clients who's buying in, you know, inner ring um, areas of major cities that have got a good infrastructure good uh, transport and um, and we see those areas of really never losing. I mean, if you look at property over a long period of time and taking a large sample size, you'll always see the property has done fairly well and um, and I think yeah, as long as you get the get the fundamentals right. All right, we're on we're on board with that, Anthony. So let's 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 say that we've we're we're about to buy our first investment property, got one or two and we want to get sort of big with it. We want to get some financial freedom, some good capital growth. What what advice would you have for investors that are that are sort of yeah. building their portfolio from from a broker's point of view? How how do we get the good deals? How do we make sure that um, we're not beholden to one particular bank that we're not yeah. getting stung too much with LMI or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, I think first and foremost, um, it's getting good people around you that are providing the right advice and are working together. We see time and time again that clients are, um, you know, are, are going off and, and getting advice from one person, speaking to another person about another area, whether it be. Um, accounting advice, financial planning advice, broker advice. I think when they, when we work together with a client and their professional partners and we know the outcomes of the clients and we're working in their best interest to meet their goals, we see the most success. So that would be the first thing. Surround your people with the, with good advisors that are working together. From a finance and funding point of view, we'll always be just guided by, say, for instance, the accountant or financial planner about the structure. You know, entity, if they have to put it in a family trust or if they're putting it in a company, whatever it might be, we would just have to be guided by them. For us, that, that's what we do. We kind of come in, we give them the right advice around finance to provide the options that are going to meet their needs. Um, and, and if they can do that and they're ongoing, ongoingly managing that and reviewing that and not just putting it aside, I understand that everyone's so we, we find a lot of people are time poor these days, so it's reviewing it even if it's just every 12 months. So just, just have a financial check-in with everyone yep. to monitor that and to make sure because everyone's circumstances are always changing, so you need to make some refinement on the strategy. And from a financing point of view, that's where we provide our annual reviews to ensure that their finance structures are suiting their needs. So, yeah, having having some clear directions, clear goals, and, and managing that key. I think that's great advice, Anthony. Now, we... We talked about picking the bottom of the market, and I know you mentioned you're not 
a, a property expert per se, but obviously you've you've got a lot of lot of runs on the boards with a lot of clients and, and personally as well. What what are you what are you seeing on the on the horizon for Melbourne for the next sort of three to five years? Are you are you thinking that we're we're going to have some some tough times, or is it is it is it a broader story than you know the the oversupply and the 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 settlements mm. off the plan falling over because you know we've we've had yeah. Cranathon in South Bank, for example. Sure, sure. So I think it's all geographically driven. It's not just one size fits all with the market and providing an outlook. I mean, if you look at those, say, for instance, those highly saturated areas like your South Banks and your CBD, sure. Look, if I was an investor, I probably wouldn't invest in those areas because there's been a, quite a lot of supply. But if you're looking at that inner ring Melbourne, I think that there's no issues with off the plan. I think there's no issues with oversupply. I think that there's actually an undersupply, and I'll read more and more about the migration that's so significant, not only from a, a, a Australian migration, but an overseas migration into Melbourne. And even some of the other capital cities, like Brisbane seems to be having a fair bit of growth and some good projections there. But I just think that if you're in those key area in a ring of Melbourne, even though there's going to be subdued growth in the next three to five years, I think that you've always got to look at these things as a longer-term investment, not just in the short term, that I think you really can't go wrong. So even if it does involve, an, uh, you know, if it's um, more affordable for off the plan and it's going to get into a better price point, I honestly don't think it's in the world. You just want to maybe stay away from the smaller apartments and the studio accommodation scenarios. But some of these developments and developers that we work with, we always get the valuations that come into contract. We always get some really good growth and some opportunity to use that equity again in the future. To invest, so I think that whilst there's going to be subdued growth, I still think, like I said before, it's an opportunity to actually be active in the market now and think of it longer term. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, we our, our negative connotations around off the plan are these tiny studio apartments in developments where there's 300 of them and there's problems with the valuations, but you can buy a townhouse mm. off the plan, right? And in a in a in a block of yeah. three. Like it's not off the plan per se that's the that's the the bad thing here, right? Absolutely. Everyone's thought off the plan is an apartment in South Bank and um, it's going to be a service accommodation, Airbnb, and yeah, all these bad scenarios. But some of the developers we work in, they're typically the boutique size developments and developers. Um, we see some absolutely astounding um, projects that get rented out. I mean, some of the stuff we've seen, we've seen lines out of apartment buildings when there's, you know, when they have um, open for inspections for tenants to go in there, especially in those inner areas of Melbourne. They get tenanted straight away, or if you need to find a new tenant, you find one within a couple of weeks. And um, and they're really great developments, and, and typically we, we do see the more boutique projects um, are more attractive, and um, and so that's why we, we work heavily in the off-the-planet space as well with developers, and we actually see great opportunities for investors. To, and, and obviously, from a tax deduction and a um, tax depreciation point of view, um, there's some advantageous uh, things about that Don't as well. We started on tax depreciation. We've got to wind, we've got to wind <laughs> this up at some point. <laughs> Now, um, now, Anthony, you, you've shared a lot of gold, but uh, there's we've only really just scratched the surface. If if people are wanting to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way to do that? Yeah, sure. Just uh, simply uh, email me at anthony at myms.com.au or I always like speaking to people. I never um, hesitate someone to give me a call, so don't hesitate to call me on the mobile, 0410 
If it's finance related or if they wanted uh, someone to speak to about their property needs or just wanted to ask me a question, I'm, I'm always here to help. Beautiful. So, that that so. is unprecedented access. We look forward to that going off the hook for you. Um, Anthony, if there's one piece of advice that you can give to, to property investors just to just to wrap us up here today, what, what, what would that be? I think, yeah, like, based on where the market is at the moment, I'm going to do two things. Don't pick the bottom of the market, like we mentioned, and think of property as a long-term investment. I think. So if you can think about those two things, I think that's going to hold you in good stead um, and and um, have the right advisors around you give, and working together so everyone's on the same page. Brilliant. That's week. brilliant. And as we said before, sometimes the simplest things are, are actually the best. Correct. Cheers, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike.